This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and welcome or welcome back to Self Work. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been practicing in Fayetteville, Arkansas for just about 25 years. Last year, I decided to start podcasting because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice not only to those who might be in therapy or already be interested in psychological issues. Maybe they have mental illness like depression, anxiety, eating disorders, maybe their relationship problems, but also to reach those of you who might never darken the door of a therapist, but are just curious enough to listen in to see what somebody like me would have to say. I'm very solution-oriented, and I talk a lot about what you can do about it. You can't fix everything, but there's usually something you can get more control over, or there's something you can do about it. But first on this episode, I want to say a huge thank you I've gotten all kinds of ratings this week, and I've gotten three reviews that have been so kind and thoughtfully written from Gilman928. What I love about this podcast and Dr. Margaret Rutherford is the practical application of therapeutic tools to everyday issues that I'm sure many listeners have often encountered. The episode on getting emotional control of yourself was beautifully interwoven with anecdotes from real clients, and they go on. Thank you so much. Getman Girl, I really love your words and advice. I've learned so much, and you truly speak to me. Your advice causes me to question and evaluate the world around me and how to become a well-rounded adult and deal with the problems I face. Thank you so much. And Shadow Sky 720 says, The best self-help podcast I've found. Wow. Just wow. (laughs) I have listened to many different episodes multiple times. Dr. Margaret covers a wide range of topics in a way that feels compassionate and non-judgmental. I hope so. She gives great advice, and it shows how much she cares about people. I cannot thank all three of you enough. And also, to those of you who've left ratings, that's absolutely awesome. Thank you so much. Today, we're going to be talking about the grief of infertility. I went through infertility. I had my child through in vitro fertilization. I will interweave my own story as I talk about what happens when a couple goes through the infertility process. Of course, miscarriage can be a part of this, and yet I decided it really deserved its own episode, which I will have soon. So we'll briefly discuss miscarriage, but not much. And then I'm going to give you 10 things you can do to help yourself. If you're not going through infertility yourself, you might send this podcast to someone you know that is, because it is a very, very lonely journey. Even if you don't experience infertility, you never have, you never will, you might want to listen to these coping mechanisms that I suggest, because they really apply to any problem that you're struggling with that you don't have a lot of control over, so they can generalize to your own life. Then our email from a listener today is from someone who has identified with the Perfectly Hidden Depression podcasts that I've had, which are interspersed throughout. And she's very interested in psychology and brings up some things about the Myers-Briggs. We've had questions about the Myers-Briggs before with Perfectly Hidden Depression, but then she also talks about being very enmeshed with her family where her parents aren't letting go. And so 
that's interwoven throughout her question. So we're going to get to that about what you do when your parents won't let go. I actually had a podcast on that, episode 62, I believe, but I'm going to answer her questions. So welcome to Self Work, and we're going to be talking about infertility. You know, now it all seems very long ago, yet the weeks, months, and even years that it took me to get pregnant were some of the longest ones of my lifetime. It seemed that everywhere I went, there were children and pregnant women. There were endless pairs of parents who were yelling at their kids at Target or in the park, and I remember I'd fume. I wouldn't scream at my kid like that. It's so unfair. That feeling of unfairness was very destructive and paralyzing. A lot of things aren't fair. And I rationally knew that. People said things like, if it's supposed to happen, it will. Or, if you'll just relax, I bet it will happen. Or perhaps the most hurtful thing, which actually a family member said to me, do you think you're being punished by God? That was a tough one. No one could tell me the exact reason why my body wasn't responding well to the myriad of drugs I was taking. To be graphic, I had something called hostile mucus, as yucky as that sounds. Sperm would have a harder time making their presence known. They had to swim pretty hard. (laughs) Test after uncomfortable test didn't show anything else. We bypassed the whole mucus thing by going straight to IUIs, or what are called intrauterine inseminations. My husband and I call those things sex for 12, because there were usually about, I don't know, anywhere from 6 to 12 people in the room. We were trying to keep things light, but I couldn't seem to get pregnant after half a dozen or more IUIs. Oh yes, of course, there was one other thing. It was my age. I was 35 when we began. I had really wanted children until I met my now partner of 28 years. But as we were falling in love, I could, for the first time, see what parenting would be like, how it could only enhance a relationship where there was trust and respect. I so wanted to be a mom with this man by my side. After we went to a specialist, I sat several times in the waiting room with other highly hormonal women waiting to learn of two possible outcomes. First, had I developed any eggs at all, or second, whether some procedure had to be stopped because I'd hyperstimulated on even more potent drugs and had way too many of the darn things. It had the power to take over my life. When I was in the waiting room, I remembered so vividly talking with women who had had multiple IVFs, in vitro fertilizations, who were grasping at whatever straw of hope they could, and frankly, I didn't want to be one of those women. Then one day, I was told I was pregnant. I was shocked but ecstatic, and six weeks later, I miscarried, and somehow, it all seemed to hurt more. I began thinking about life without children. We'd ruled out adoption, our own personal choice. It's a fantastic option. But I could begin to visualize what life would be like. I even began a book with the title, No One's Mother. Some might say that might seem negative. To me and for me, it was a healthy way to begin to accept my lack of control and give myself a chance to find purpose and meaning in another lifestyle. I wasn't resigning myself to failure. I was accepting that I had no real control. We could make the best choices we knew how to make, for at every turn, after every treatment option that didn't work, 
You had to decide whether to continue, whether to stop, whether to ask my body to handle more drugs, whether to ramp up to a more expensive procedure, whether to look around for another doctor or reproductive endocrinologist. It took us a little more than three years, and we chose to try one trial of in vitro fertilization. In fact, my endocrinologist told me she didn't think there was a chance in hell that I could get pregnant. But I did. You know, I can remember hearing about the first baby born with IVF in 1978, little Louise Brown. And it's fascinating to find out that the latest report on IVF and other assisted reproductive techniques is that there were nearly 68,000 babies born by these methods in 2015. And other statistics show that basically when you look at all treatment cycles that went on that year, the methods overall have a 32% success rate, about the same as biological births. There's so many different techniques and over 440 clinics in the United States alone. So it's a huge business as it tries to give couples hope. So to prepare for IVF, I went through a summer of being blasted with estrogen. It wasn't fun, and probably mostly it wasn't fun for my spouse, come to think of it. Our now 23-year-old son will joke that he's probably the only person in the room that's ever lived inside a Petri dish. We were bountifully lucky and extremely blessed. And there are many people who are not. Since all of that happened to me, I've received over the years a fair amount of referrals of couples going through infertility. And I've learned a few things along the way, especially in what can happen to a relationship if things aren't handled well. So we're going to go through these 10 things. And remember, I think many of these techniques or ideas or recommendations can work for really anything that you don't have a lot of control over that you're trying to struggle with and obtain. So first, get the best support there is to help guide you through your decisions, what's really important to you about becoming a parent. Of course, that's about infertility. If you've been trying for a while, then consider finding a reproductive endocrinologist. Typically, they can give you far more in-depth information, which can help with so many of the decisions that have to be made. That can actually help your relationship as you try to filter through what's really important to you about becoming a parent. What I mean by this is how important is it for you to actually carry a child, to carry a pregnancy? Or is it more important to simply have the experience of being a parent? of getting up at night and feeding and helping him or her walk or the countless experiences that parents have that can be both difficult and meaningful. So figuring out what truly matters to you. That may be different between you and your partner, but again, the whole decision is about listening to one another and then going forward considering both of your values. Number two, Realize that frequently you and your spouse may polarize on this issue. This is really true of anything that people are going through that they're not in control of. One of you will likely take the more negative view, and you'll call it rational or logical. And the other one will call it the more positive, and you'll call that optimistic and determined. 
This can be paralyzing and lead to awful arguments that make you wonder why you're trying to bring a child into this relationship in the first place. Yet realize it's a common phenomenon that one of you will carry the optimism, the other will carry the pain of it all. So both of you are making good points, and it's important to listen. Here's the third, and this is specific to infertility. If only one of you is actually dealing with physical or psychological problems that are leading to the infertility, remember that the other one is becoming, quote-unquote, infertile by choice. As soon as I said this is specific to infertility, I really think that that's not true. (laughs) I talked myself out of my point. Because what if your partner has cancer, or what if they have an illness or a condition where that's going to chronically be there, then your partner is going to also share in the responsibility and awareness of that problem. So it's important for the partner who is quote-unquote normal to let their partner know that they are quote-unquote infertile by choice, that they love their partner enough to make that choice, and that they cannot only tolerate it, but are actively willing to. Together, you can envision a life without children, and both of you choose it, because the two of you are going to be together. I remember hating my body so much, and for the naturally fertile partner, that can be difficult to understand and support. You might want to rush in and give them all the reasons that they shouldn't feel that way, but you know, that's not a great choice. My husband had to allow me to work through my own anger that was part of my grieving. Number four is try not to sacrifice your true intimacy to getting pregnant. When you're having timed intercourse, which is a part of most infertility treatment, it's difficult to make it about the moment. Your doctor may have given you tips, or you might have read things in a magazine. It can start to feel like you're a performer, not an engaged person who loves their partner. Laughter helps. Having intercourse when it's not the right time helps. And then some people take vacations from treatment to give their minds, hearts, and bodies a break. You can talk about if this makes sense in your own lives. Sometimes, if you're older, it's too scary to take vacations. We're halfway through. Here's number five. Surround yourself with people who can give really good support. There are self-help groups that focus on infertility, Resolve, for example, is a national organization whose sole purpose is to provide support and excellent information. You can often find a local support group through them so it's hands-on and you actually get to meet people who are going through exactly what you are. And of course, you can search social media. But if you do this, be careful if you find a Facebook page or something like that where there are strong voices arguing certain paths to follow. This is a unique and extremely personal decision whether or not you're going to continue to try to have biological children, one that you and your partner need to make together. Talk with supportive individuals, therapists, good friends, family, who are able to put their own agendas aside, and sometimes this is very hard. I've had patients tell me, for example, that are going through this, that their in-laws or their own parents will make comments about, you know, I'm waiting for that grandchild. That can be very, very damaging. Look for people who've made various decisions. They've chosen to live child-free. They've chosen to adopt. They've chosen to take a break from treatment, whatever. And then talk to them about those decisions. Number six is to be your own advocate. 
you'll find that different treatment centers show varying success percentages. You'll have to look around for what best fits you, your locale, and even more practically, your pocketbook. Infertility treatment, especially if not covered by insurance, can be very expensive. But it varies greatly from treatment center to treatment center. And you can find all kinds of ratings and reviews. It can be daunting, but then again, it may be where you can have some sense of control. Number seven, give yourself permission to avoid situations where you'll be overwhelmed. Children's birthday parties, baby showers, Mother's Day, your own birthday. What do I mean by that? Another year has gone by. Same idea with New Year's or another holiday. They're all markers of time. If you can go, go. If you have to leave, leave. People who love you and understand will get it. Number eight, if you already have a child or your partner has a child, realize that you need to talk about the impact that has on the support you get from others. Some people will say, I'm so glad you have a child. So many people aren't that lucky. Or being a step parent is a hard job, but an important one. These are things that are literally true, but there are still feelings of helplessness and grief to work through. And sometimes one partner will already have a child, and then you go through infertility together. That also can be very tricky, and it has to be talked about openly. Number nine, watch for clinical depression. There are all kinds of triggers here for depression. Helplessness, grief, the drugs and the emotional reactions to them, the fear of using the drugs, arguments about choices, feelings of unfairness or bitterness, polarization and loneliness. If you cross a line with depression and can't get your mind off getting pregnant or you get too sad and feel that the loss is intolerable, please seek help. And here's the last. Make a plan for other routes, either child-free living or adoption, surrogate parenting, whatever might work for you. You know, Women's World, that grocery store magazine, actually featured me after I'd had my son because they were interested in the fact that I had handled my grief by actually planning a life of child-free living. And I planned it so much that I had to actually grieve it a little bit to let that go. In fact, I was so scared that I would miscarry again or that something would happen that I didn't buy anything for the baby until about month five. And then I got a t-shirt that said, are you sure these are my parents? I thought it was very fitting. Just remember that the infertility process is a very difficult one. And if you're still in it or choosing it, good luck to you. Love each other and stay mindful of how hard the journey can be. Our email from a listener today says, I'm not sure where to start, but I'm very glad I'm writing to you. I found you through Pinterest, then listened to a few episodes of your amazing podcast. I love it. I guess my main question is, am I a PhD person? I'm a 22-year-old girl, a computer science student. I'm also interested in psychology. I used to observe my surroundings a lot, and that includes people, their body language, personalities, how conversations go. But as part of adulting, a couple of years ago, I started focusing on myself, trying to figure out who I am, who I want to be, and so on. And with the help of Pinterest, again, I've read tons of blog posts and watched dozens of videos about finding passion, developing myself, personal planning. 
All of them have been helpful and great, but after listening to your podcast, I think I've been trying to distract myself from real life, because every time I'm in my own world with all these things, then life crashes in, and it's like I've been soaked with cold water. The reason I'm asking if I'm PhD or not, that's perfectly hidden depression, is that I get confused whether I'm an INFJ, that's a Myers-Briggs category, or if there's more depth to what I'm experiencing. I'm a perfectionist. I'm an extreme overthinker. People tell me that I'm acting older than my age. I struggle at making friends or considering them as friends. I prefer labeling them as classmates. I always feel that I don't fit in. I hardly open up to anyone. I hate feeling, being, or looking weak. Then she sort of changes the subject, sort of. My parents have been very close to me, way more than I would like, especially being a teenager. And I understand that it's due to me being their first child, and I was born after just six and a half months. The effort my mom made in my early life probably is the reason I'm alive. It should have created a great bond between us. But it annoys me that my parents are kind of stuck in this phase. Remembering your podcast about emotionally growing up, I couldn't quite point out what my defensive tactic was, but I found myself trying so hard to prove that I'm a grown-up, not wanting to be helped and trying to do things on my own. For example, if I wanted to be a blogger, I know they'd feel disappointed if they didn't get to read the article before I publish. I want to try to escape my parents' overprotectiveness, but I don't want to hurt them. Okay, so she's thinking a lot about the perfectly hidden depression thing, wondering she's fairly young in her early 20s, and she's trying to figure out how to label herself. Is she a a round peg, a square peg? What is she? So let me... Straighten something out first with her and you. First, of course, I thank her for reaching out. And then I say, I'd recommend that you stay away from labeling yourself too specifically. INFJ and PhD share many things. Perhaps one of the things I'm suggesting about perfectly hidden depression is that it can have its roots in childhood trauma or pain as well as other experiences. I don't think the Myers-Briggs talks about root causes, just characteristics. A point with PhD is that if you recognize a root cause, you can go about the hard work of beginning to access your more painful emotions and challenge the belief that it's not okay to be vulnerable or that there are parts of you that you shouldn't express. If you're interested in psychology, then perhaps you would benefit from some therapy for several reasons. Certainly to try to figure yourself out as you're trying to do. But another example are your issues with separating from your parents. It does sound as if they're having trouble with that. And episode 62 was about a parent not being able to let go. There's a great book called The Emotional Incest Syndrome by Pat Love that talks about this kind of enmeshment. And separating can be difficult, especially if you're still living at home. It can be hard to create your own separate identity. Perhaps, again, a therapist could help you with that as well. Maybe you could even do some family work. You know, I don't believe that therapy is the be-all and end-all answer to everything. But especially with family work, if you can get all the family or most of the family members in the room and get them on a similar page with one another, then goals can be set over time, which can certainly help the separation and what we call individuation process. So good luck.
I want to thank you for listening to Self Work. Please email me at askdrmargaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. I love finding out who you are. I will answer your questions. I will listen to your comments. And I would so appreciate you writing to me. You're the major way that I can get the word out about self-work. You can tell your friends. You can leave ratings and reviews. That can be so very helpful. There are plenty of ways of tuning in to more of my work. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com, and I post a blog there every week. You can sign up for my newsletter there, which comes weekly, and you'll get the link to my weekly podcast as well as my weekly blog post. I promise nothing else will come your way. Or, of course, you can subscribe wherever you listen. And that's awesome. Thank you again for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and you've been listening to Self Work.